Deserve presents the Create Wealth Podcast with Sandeep Jaimani. Radhika, you went to Wharton hmm. and studied with the kids of some of the richest industrialists in India. Yes. You are an AMC CEO where you hobnob with a lot of really wealthy people and meet really rich clients on the hmm. other side. Do you personally feel that you are wealthy? Yes, I do. Um, uh, not in the traditional sense. Look. I'm privileged in the anyone who's sitting here is privileged living in India. So I'm not going to lie and say I, I'm poor. I'm no. I'm no. I'm well paid, uh, well invested. Wealth is always uh, relative because I've realized that there's always someone richer than you. But you know, unfortunately or fortunately or whatever it is, there are people who have significantly less than you. But I'm very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I earn enough money to lead a good life. I learn. I earn enough money. to have things that the previous generation couldn't so i'm very happy with my home it gives me a lot of happiness i'm able to do things for my family um i'm able to buy the small pleasures that give me happiness wohi wealth the one place i'm less wealthy is i don't have enough time so if i had six more hours in the day i might feel, feel a little wealthier that that i need to solve for myself maybe it's just being mother ceo radhika one of the most interesting things about your journey was that From Wharton, you went into McKinsey, hmm. and McKinsey ke baad you did this whole Wall Street stint, yeah. and then decided to start up. What was happening at that point in time in life? Uh, so, firstly, there was not a lot of planning happening at that point in life. You have to realize I was, and I'm sure some people are. I was one of those kids who entered the private sector, which is what it used to be called in my house. with a family that was entirely public sector so mm-hmm. everybody in my father's family is ies ies pcs some some version of that and for them their domain has been public sector private sector so i never grew up hearing about the corporate world mm. uh, in fact i was kind of told it was evil so cuz i was supposed to join the civil services and take the upsc exam and so in the first 5 7 10 years of my career i was really just going by gut instinct nor was i one of those people who had a heavy passion for engineering or a heavy passion to start up i was just a normal kid who was good at college and school and i chose business and engineering then i said let me start with microsoft for a tech try karte it was a little bit like goldie log so i did two summers at microsoft so like this is a little too tech then i decided let me try mckinsey because everybody says consulting is broad based it gives you a launch pad so i did that then i said oh this is a little too far away from an operating business because that's really what i enjoy and i landed up at aqr because it's founded by a founder from pen uh, same background as i did and i landed up there uh, and i spent 3 4 years in asset management and thereafter uh, me and two other co-founders just decided that we wanted to come back to india you know at that point for an indian abroad things were really changing in india you had this big bull market between mm-hmm. 2003 and 7 you had job creation you had big salary packages it was we had never seen this india for the first time and i think the us is such a mature market that sandeep to start up anything uh, also as a foreign national would have been extremely complicated so it just seemed very logical to come back to india and do that i have to say at 24 it was a lot more courageous uh, you know then i i felt it was then i don't think i would have the courage to make that decision at 40 
बट यू नो वेन यू केम बैक टू इंडिया दर्ज अ नेचुरल सेट ऑफ शॉक्स दैट हैपन कि यार मैंने जो सोचा था लाइफ इज रियली वेरी डिफरेंट हियर एंड एस्पेशली इन द सेगमेंट दैट यू वर ऑपरेटिंग इन विच इज सॉर्ट ऑफ लाइक हेज फंड ट्रेडिंग ऑल्टरनेटिव इन्वेस्टमेंट्स वेर यू वुड एक्सपेक्ट अ सर्टन थिंग्स कमिंग इन फ्रॉम यू एस लिक्विडिटी इन द मार्केट डेप्थ एट्सेट्रा एंड एक्चुअली इंडिया में है नहीं द सेकेंड वॉज द होल थिंग अबाउट getting compliance approvals regulatory stuff etc i suspect that is probably harder here than it was there what was the early journey of forefront like so it was hard but it was not hard because of the two reasons you mentioned um see we came in with no background i had never lived in india till mm-hmm. then uh so that was always a tricky thing the good news is that since my father had changed countries so much i'm really easy with shifting countries like you literally tell me to move from here and go to some place in sub saharan africa i probably will not mind that much i'm really used to moving countries i don't mind i can i can figure it out the problem with forefront was that this, that we struggled with was this three of us had investment management backgrounds now to run a money management business the reality is you do a lot more than investing you mm-hmm. do compliance you do marketing you do admin etc etc and i always tell rashish this because i think i was the girl the guys decided they would do all the investing and i would do everything else mm-hmm. um i didn't struggle as much with the compliance approvals in fact it's funny we got our pms license in 20 days flat from sebi oh, and we were the first registered hedge fund we got our aif cat 3 license in another 15 days mm-hmm. and we made a lot of news at that point for becoming india's first domestic hedge fund because we were a bunch of mm-hmm. kids so i actually didn't struggle with that i think it's a testament to actually how cleanly regulated uh things are i happen to be the drafter so i think i would make for a very good lawyer i mean the fact that i could get approvals that fast i don't think we get we that sandeep that sandeep parek that uh, you should ask sandeep parek that i actually think that if i draft everything we'll get it done really quickly i don't think we get approvals this quickly now the investing part also because we were doing fundamentally driven quant investing i think that was also okay we struggled with two things the first is we had never had any customer exposure mm. so you three investment professionals in the us who were handed a bunch of money you have no idea what a customer wants mm-hmm. um so our first product was a replica of what we did in the us and it was absolutely unfit for an indian customer mm-hmm. and we just struggled to raise money so unfit from a communication you are not able to explain from it from a customer need point of view okay so what you call in the startup called product market fit hmm hmm i didn't know that was the word then but hmm. that's actually what we struggled so explain that like why would why would this product not be fit for somebody it, who's got a lot of money it was a quant fund um that used very complicated quant indicators hmm. and its outcome was that it was long only plus few percent like nifty plus 4 or 5% hmm. now firstly when you're running an alternative investment fund and hmm. you know this nobody wants nifty plus 4 or 5% because sure. your mutual fund does that in a far more tax efficient way secondly explaining some of those quant strategies to a consumer also back in 2009 i mean india mm. has evolved a lot since mm. then explaining that was crazy so people look at quant and they say a black box mm. at that point especially india had a much bigger star fund manager culture mm. Mm. there was a x or a y or a z and there was a cult around star fund managers mm. a lot of this by the way has evolved since then yeah. but in 2009 this was not evolved so we had something that really didn't stand out mm. from a consumer point of view and i also believe as a startup in any domain 
And I say this about Edelweiss Asset Management today too. If I'm offering what the top five are, and that's my only value proposition, why should anyone come to me? The that's reality right. is nobody does. Mm. You have to offer something that distinctly meets mm. the need of a consumer. Mm. Um, and you have to be able to communicate that you're doing that. And I think those two are the single most powerful lessons I learned from Forefront. Mm. And they've influenced everything we do here. Everything. And Radhika, so this was a hard journey in terms of fundraising. How were you guys paying yourselves? Because you could have made a lot of money staying back on Wall Street. Uh, but at Forefront, you potentially were not making that much money. Would that affect your thought process at any point? Ki maybe let's go back and earn the same amount of half a buck, a million dollars at uh, back on Wall Street? You know, funnily enough, no one's asked me this question uh, in all the conversations I've had. And it's such an important question. So firstly, we were not paying ourselves. And I should tell you, uh, at least two of us founders were middle class kids who went to the US on financial aid and were earning those salaries. Uh, you know, uh, Nalan was at Goldman. Mm. Uh, I was at McKinsey and then AQR. And 2006-07 were actually very good years on Wall Street. Mm. And our parents were so relieved that mm. we just said, the settled. settled. Mm. So when we came back, firstly, they were not very happy. They were like, Come back to India as India MD of Goldman Sachs, na? Hmm. or a partner with McKinsey. Thoda baad mein dekh lena, itne. Hmm. So, and I don't blame them, right? Correct. Because you've just broken out of the so-called middle class rut, made it abroad, survived layoffs in 2008, got promoted. Like, why are you coming back? And uh, it didn't help that Nalan and I were also married, right? Two hmm. of us founders uh, were married. So you don't have one co-founder, one part of the couple hmm. who's actually earning something, yeah. uh, which can become extremely challenging. And we didn't take salaries for quite an extended period of time. Hmm. I think when we sold the company, Sandeep, if I'm not wrong, we were taking a lakh a month home, which is not near market compensation. Sure. Um, now, this this was emotionally damn tricky. Uh there was a personal part. So we were living in this tiny, tiny house. It was like a 400 square feet house in Bandra. And I don't mean to sound like a victim because I, I, I think I'm very privileged. But from our point of view, what we had on Wall Street to where we were living, we never invited anyone home. We didn't have a car. So two years after we were here, my father-in-law was like, at least buy a Swift. So we had mm. this little Swift. Um, and so I think that always set off these thoughts in your head. Yeah, did I do the right thing? Should I have stayed back? And you know, every periodically, then your parents would ask you the question, if you were in the US, what salary kya hoti, beta? Hmm. And yeah. that always triggers uh, these so things. opportunity cost was reminded to you repeatedly. It, it was reminded to you repeatedly. The second challenging thing is that you have to remember, I had classmates who went to Wharton who were industrialists. At hmm. that point, only industrialists went to Wharton and two like lucky kids on financial aid. Now, when you are living in New York, uh, and everybody benchmarks to friends in life. You benchmark to your IIM batchmates, your CA batchmates, whatever it is. Like it's 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 the Sharma ji ka beta phenomena that 100%. all of us yeah. live in. Now, when everyone's living in New York, everyone's taking the same subway, working at a nice Wall Street job, going to the same bars, going to the same restaurants. So, paise ka difference dikhta nahi tha. difference pata hi nahi chalta. Who hmm. knows ki kisi ka baap India mein kya kamara hai ya kitna uska market cap hai. You suddenly come back to India and you're living in this little 400 square foot apartment in Bandra. And you're not even, you're taking yellow and black cabs because there was no Uber then. And then you're looking at everybody and they're inviting you home and you're like, really? You have that house? And you're like, okay, what did I do? And so that sense of inequality is a lot more profound 
but then keeping sane through that because you know this is the reality of life right and yeah. sound privilege as it sounds it's not easy to live this on a daily basis yeah. where you say ki yaar i also want that and there are probably job offers streaming in also right of because course. financial services investing industry is continuing to grow so did that happen when you said ki ek baar chhod dete hain yaar baad mein let's come back to this a little later that didn't happen but low moments were there were lots of low mo- moments i think one of the good things of having three co-founders is you can lift each other mm. Yeah. um and you set milestones you're like okay i have 25 lakhs in asset today if one bank agrees to start distributing me i've made it mm. and then you feel good about that moment mm. and then you get your sebi license you're like i've made it mm. uh and then you get 250 crores and you're like okay i'm i'm there so i think you have to have small milestones to keep you uh going but i remember having a sign in my office that said don't blow up but i was a very i was a very different person in my entrepreneur days from what i am today and i have a lot of empathy for people who are in that phase because small things would make me very very angry mm. um and i think it was just all this that i was coming from so i was edgy i was aggressive i would fight a lot more i guess you need that too right yeah. because uh, you need to keep yourself going then is the moment when you decided to sell forefront yeah. uh and so talk us through that and i also want to talk about how the money rolled in the yeah. bank balance what yeah. you did with it in just a bit but why did you decide to sell the company so there were multiple reasons um but i think at that point we needed a larger platform uh we had gotten to a certain amount of growth i think we were 200 crores in size when we sold the business um but i think we felt we needed a larger platform a lot of people told us not to sell mm. you know it's funny the same people who told you not to start up now told you not to sell Mm. uh because they were like you will become a slave the the lines are actually some corporate in india some lala company will eat you up mm. um and i never looked at a sale as a you know eat up mm. i looked at it as an opportunity to partner with someone um and what people don't know is we actually appointed hdfc bank as a banker through the process despite being like small mm. entrepreneurs and we met about 8 to 10 people hmm. i keep joking with uh, rashesh that the one group we didn't want to meet was edelweiss and why is because that because we had heard in the market that edelweiss is too aggressive in terms of work culture and then when we met them were like they're just like us maybe their reputation helped it, it because act- it the act- contrast was uh, to what you expected was visible right exactly no and it was just a fit because we you know there's a finally selling a financial services business and it is a little different from selling a product company hmm. because a lot of value lies in the people mm. so most buyers logical mm. buyers will ask key people to stay on sure so this is a place where you could be building a 3 4 5 year career mm. so you actually have to like working there and so culture becomes a very important part of the decision making not just yeah. money right there's yeah. a career uh, yeah. ahead of you uh, and we actually felt that this was a great cultural fit mm. Mm. you know it it doesn't seem obvious you like they're aggressive we're also aggressive right entrepreneurs mm. are mm. aggressive mm. and all the three of you were aligned to this decision yes i mean look uh, i am not going to say selling is not easy uh, it's very emotional um, you know and in three people if you would believe that everyone is completely aligned to everything to wo thoda mushkil hota hai but uh, eventually yes i think all of us thought that selling was the right thing and two of us continued and fact is two of us have stayed on well after the so called on out period which was 2018 wow yeah 
it's been five years extra. yeah it's been five years since uh i think also you were at exit forefront one lakh rupees salary yeah. a month how much money did <laughs> did you guys get <laughs> when you sold forefront to edelweiss okay i'm not going to answer that but i will tell you that uh, we got some money so that was nice uh and we got enough money to at least put uh some corpus into a house um and uh, you know i i i don't own samudra mahal before people start guessing how much money i earned uh, but we got some money to put into our house uh, so that was nice and we also had uh, which is important not just an upfront payment but incentives because we mm. sold the business to edelweiss to build over the next 4 mm. years uh, so we also had incentives that were linked to building out over the next 4 mm. years mm. which actually were a very important part of the deal consideration mm-hmm. and i think those incentives were actually larger than the upfront and the incentives radhika were linked to the performance or the size of the fund that would as it would grow later yes yes got so it so the incentives were linked so that was part of the deal terms the incentives were linked to the size of the fund as it grew later hmm. uh, and that's important right hmm. uh, you know because there's a value you're going to pay for what you're acquiring because but as i said real value lies in the people hmm. and the skill set and the potential of the business hmm. and and i think that's what we got so the good part is we got the upfront consideration but we were able to realize the rest of the value and i think that's actually more important yeah was the rest of the value bigger than the upfront consideration that you guys got yes yeah so that that way the alignment was very high yes. right it was not like ki bech diya aur ab ho gaya and you can that step. is the right way to structure a transaction i've done m and a after that i mean hmm. uh you know we bought ambit capital we bought jp morgan which which was the start of hmm. this business in some sense and i think that is the incentives are very important so uh hmm. and uh, you know if you are incentivized to build value hmm. then it doesn't matter you know this whole thing people say you are your own boss you're an entrepreneur teri company ne etc hmm. i actually think it's about incentives it's true even today for me if i am being incentivized enough to hmm. build value and edelweiss amc believe me i will think of it like my own business hmm. and i do yeah and clearly it happened right because you were head of a division within edelweiss yes. amc as the form of forefront and later went on to lead the amc itself what do you think was the transition that happened because i'm curious from a lot of people who are listening to this that how do they progress in a company what is it mm. do you put up your hand and take additional responsibility or were there some other decisions and actions you were taking along the way so this is interesting so first i should tell you that moving into a corporate setup as an entrepreneur was tricky for me uh, and i don't know if it's tricky for others but it was tricky for me because for 4 5 years of my life i had no boss i had no kra system i had no feedback i had no performance appraisals i had no central compliance and all the lovely stuff <laughs> that happens in corporates and it happens for reasons so and i remember actually having a meltdown in my first performance review even though i had done really well that year mm. i just had a meltdown because i couldn't handle it you know in a corporate setup there are so many outside forces there are peers mm. you don't have peers when you're a startup mm. that you have to deal with and th- there's a certain sense of stuff so i think i took a few years to find my feet mm. uh, in the system now how the transition to amc ceo happened i loved the word that you said about putting your hand up and asking it was literally me putting up my hand and asking i think 2 years into this i felt i could do more mm. and one of the good things is that while we were incentivized to build this business 
we were also given the assurance that if we work on other things, mm. you know, we'll be taken care of. And mm. that's exactly what happened. Um, and at that point, I was already, you know, so what happens in a corporate is you're running your own division, which you've, been, which you've acquired. And you can be very siloed mm -hmm. if you want to. But it's important to realize that your life is more than that division in a corporate and start expanding your boundaries. So I had the opportunity to sit in broader asset management board meetings or wealth and asset management board mm. meetings, get to know people, know other parts of the business, do those side projects that nobody wants to do, you know, learn, showcase mm. myself. Um, and at that point, I think in 2016, they decided to acquire uh, JP Morgan's uh, mm. asset management business. And mm -hmm. uh, I think the day before the acquisition, my then boss called me and said, he's like, I've got a project for you. Uh, we've acquired JP Morgan and uh, tomorrow's the day the deal's done. And you get to go to the JP Morgan offices and make a speech to everyone. It's like, this is great. Uh, Radhika, as a part of this discussion, I had the good fortune of trying to research how much CEOs get paid. Oh, God. Right? And uh, the data <laughs> points varied between 5 crores to 10, 15 okay. crores uh -huh. a year. Okay. Uh, how how was how do how does the CEO of uh, an AMC compensation is structured? Like, okay. tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So, firstly, you can find out, guys, what all CEOs get paid if you have a folio number. So, you can just go to anyone's website and get it. It's the law. So, there's no secret about it. How do CEOs get paid? Uh, most people, and it is a little different person to person, uh, will have a component of fixed compensation. Will have a component of bonus compensation. Now, what is the split between fixed and variable? It's really dependent. Mm -hmm. uh, I've generally observed in financial services, as you get more senior, uh, bonus is a very important part or meaningful part of your compensation. Mm -hmm. And CEO compensation is approved by boards and NRCs and all of that. In addition, most CEOs will have some kind of long-term incentive. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the company, it could be ESOP, if it is a listed company or an unlisted company. It could be shadow ESOPs, which are long-term incentive plans, but something linked to the performance of the company mm -hmm. that is deferred that you get as compensation is a third part. So for most people, these are the three parts of compensation. And is there a part which is getting reinvested back into your mutual fund? Uh, uh, there is some debate about that, whether yeah. that's appropriate or not. So there is a 20% mandate that 20% of your net after-tax compensation every month or whenever it is payout, actually before it hits your bank account, mm -hmm. uh, goes uh, to your funds, mm. locked in for three years in the ratio of AUM. And there are all these formulas mm. around it. Um, I think we must be the only industry in the world to have this. Uh, it's like telling you if you make biscuits, uh, you have to eat biscuits uh, as 20% of your diet. Uh, so it is a form of skin in the game. Uh, in general, globally, uh, asset management professionals are definitely encouraged in some places, mandated mm -hmm. to have some portion of compensation in their funds in the hedge fund space. Mm -hmm. Mutual fund space, it's a lot more rare, but I think India has that. You know, there has been a lot of debate about that rule since it came out. Mm -hmm. Reality is, funnily enough, most of us actually realized we've saved a lot of money because it's been forced. And the IRR on that is very good. Why is that? Because, you know, most uh, funds have larger liquid fund corpuses, debt fund corpuses. Mm. Uh, so uh, is We don't. Actually, we're lucky. So you're lucky. But in general... In general, and, that could be that and, could hurt. And AMC CEO's money is get going into liquid or debt funds yeah. and again getting locked in there for three years. And the debt fund stuff is, is not so uh, ideal. Uh, 
and obviously this came out when taxation was not uh, the way it is but mm. it really depends on the blend of mm. uh, assets uh, that you have so how is your own portfolio got determined because of that because 20% of your annual comp meaningful yeah. number incrementally is going into your own funds ab uske baad the surplus money what do you do with it i do sips very simple i get a monthly salary mm. uh, i do sips and uh, when this happened i was going to top up my sip amount because mm. i think one of the things that we often forget is that our compensation is rising as salaried professionals mm. and net of expenses we have some money left mm -hmm. so that should go into savings or sips or whatever it is we don't realize our compensation is going and we haven't changed our sip amount so when this happened i just adjusted my sip amounts mm. um so that's what i did mm. uh i do sips i can tell you the funds i do sips into i do sips into balanced advantage funds into mid cap funds small cap funds select international funds and one passive fund that's that's basically it mm. maybe about 8 10 funds in my portfolio that i do sips into bonus compensation i have to be a little more thoughtful because it's a lump sum payment mm -hmm. that comes so i always find large lump sum payments tricky because then you know you were sometimes what i do so when the math i have done now is i figure out my total net of tax compensation for the year taking out this 20% deduction taking out my expenses mm. and i set that sip amount mm. okay now this is a little technical but that sip amount is actually very high and i take out emis and whatever else mm. i have there that sip amount is high some of it goes from my monthly salary the bonus amount i leave in an arbitrage fund and it also keeps stp in mm. i don't like to do large lump sum deployment you know it's very interesting you say that radhika because having managed money for 20 years i feel the worst investment decisions yeah. are when you have the large amount hitting your account <laughs> because a you are on a high in a moment yeah. because suddenly like whatever 10 lakhs 25 lakhs few crores yeah. is hitting your bank account and at that point of time you feel like deploying it in what seems right then right and typically that's not usually the best i have made out. this mistake in 2006 7 because again similar compensation structure on wall street there too it was a lot more skewed because fixed comp is very low hmm. high variable comp deployed it all into equities at 2007 peak i mm. mean just a horrible idea yeah. so now i am i am okay i mean i was just looking at an account yesterday that i still have a large amount of money sitting in an arbitrage fund and i was like this is a lot of my bonus and mm. my husband and i were chatting he's like remember your sips are large so it's just going it will go in an stp format mm. because it's just an easier way i feel you make less mistakes uh, the one thing that stands out for me in this conversation radhika is the fact that you are investing into mutual funds yeah because there is this common belief that the more money you have you need to find complex probably different mm. instrument opportunities uh and the second belief is that hnis don't invest in uh, mutual funds right and mutual funds retail hai mutual yeah. fund sabke liye hai mutual fund sahi hai but it's for the retail yeah how do you think about that and why is your own money in uh, mutual funds so i'll tell you it is is there is a saying in hindi maine ghat ghat ka pani pi liya i started my career trading collateralized mortgages it's mm. possibly the most complex instrument on planet earth mm. okay um i have traded stocks and bonds of many many different countries i have done alternative investments etc and i have realized that for the return on effort return on effort and mm. i value my time mm. i have very little of it for the return on effort there is nothing as good as a mutual fund um mm. you choose the funds and there are support people forget is there so many options right you choose the mutual funds 
that work for you and you build a portfolio. Mutual funds are like Lego pieces. Hmm. You can make as complex a puzzle as you want for your needs or you can make a simple ship like I make for my hmm. son. But they solve the problems of everyone. I met, you're saying it, I met a prominent uh, investor who's a disciple of Warren Buffett. Hmm. Uh, and he finally said, after experimenting with everything else, he's gone back to doing mutual funds. So forget me. Yeah. Uh, so I think it is just much simpler. Yeah, I, You know, I'll I, I share a stat. Hmm. I do an SIP into a balanced advantage fund. My Kegar, a seven-year SIP, is 14.5%. Which means money is doubling five years, every yeah. five years. And then I supplement it with mid-cap funds, small-cap funds, all of that. Hmm. I'm saying, what more do you want? I doubt, with due respect, if many people check the return on their portfolio, they would do so well. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And because right now, there is In this fact, whole... I run away. People come to me with all kinds of, oh, you are an HNI, you are so prominent in media, you know this, here's a complex fund for you. And I'm like, no, I run away. <laughs> it's it's amazing you say that. Uh, obviously, the mutual fund industry is growing very rapidly, Radhika. You are um, on Amphi's board um, and very active there. A lot of folks are evaluating careers in the mutual fund space. Mm. Which are some of the areas which are interesting for you within that category? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is investment management, there is sales and marketing, there are a lo- whole host of other areas. Explain to us a little bit about careers here. So firstly, I, I think this is a great industry to build your career and it's set for structural growth. It's highly regulated, it's super clean. Uh, and it's very intellectually enriching. I mean, I think that's that's one thing. Now, investment management is a career that everyone is familiar with. Perhaps it's the most popular or most sought out of career. Mm-hmm. Most people start their career in research mm-hmm. and move into investment management. Um, but I think even within investment management, the opportunities are widening. So there's traditional equity, there's quant-based investment management, mm-hmm. uh, there's alternative investment management. There's a lot going on in the investment space. I think product is a very interesting space to build your career. So product professionals lie in the domain that sits between investments and uh, sales. Mm -hmm. And they are typically the people that design new products. I Mm -hmm. think it's going to be a very exciting time for the industry with so many new ideas, capital markets changing. So designing new products, um, communicating about those products, pitching them. Hmm. All the stuff I got wrong at Forefront, your hmm. product market fit. Hmm. So I always joke that if I had one department I could chill in here all day, it would be product. Hmm. Uh, I think product is a great career. Uh, Sounds like an interesting intersection of creative as well as logical thinking. It's, it's fabulous. It's it's the place. At heart, I'm a product person. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so product is a very interesting place. Um, sales is a high energy, high intensity career, but you know, you do retail sales, you really learn a lot on the ground. A lot of CEOs came from a sales background because you really learn the hard ropes in sales. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other interesting new careers, risk management for instance, uh, mm-hmm. um, is a career that requires an understanding of the law uh, and also risk and also investment management and also product. Mm. I think risk professionals with everything that regulators, not just in India, but globally are focusing on, are going to be in huge demand. Mm. In fact, there's a shortage of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So risk is a very interesting uh, area that people can uh, pursue. Uh, 
Marketing is a very interesting area. Finally, uh, you have four crore mutual fund investors and many more Dream Eleven users or <laughs> online gaming users or whatever. Uh, so people can pursue that. On average, as a mutual fund CEO, I probably oversee twelve to thirteen different departments mm -hmm. who I am reviewing, and each of them are so distinct. Mm -hmm. I, I keep joking that it's sometimes difficult in a town hall to address all of them together because you have these nerdy high intellect investment professionals, you have these creative marketing professionals, you have digital mm -hmm. uh, guys, you have risk guys. So it's very varied. Actually, that's one of the greatest things about the CEO role. Tell me, Radhika, this, uh, you know, the fee pool on the mutual fund side is growing. Mm. Does that translate into personal wealth growth for all the people in the company? Mm -hmm. In a sense, like, what are the salaries like? What's the ESOP compensation like uh, for most people? Like, give me a sense of the staging of salaries and compensation. Oh, God, it, it's very variant and it's very role specific. So, uh, you know, and it's it's very role specific. Um, so you could start as an entry level uh, analyst in uh, investments, and then you'll go up to uh, CIO where compensation. But that's a twenty year uh, mm -hmm. journey, mm -hmm. um, and each of the functions is incentivized very differently. So mm -hmm. of course, leadership level pay there will be some L tip. Some organizations will have ESOP, mm -hmm. and some organizations will have L tip. Leadership level pay is mm -hmm. Whether yeah, it's it, what is L tip? LTIP is a long-term incentive plan. So sure. if you don't have a listed company, sometimes people don't like to give mm -hmm. ESOPs. So they'll mm -hmm. have uh, LTIP. So that sometimes happens. Um, but it's a trajectory that you go through. People are incentivized for different things. For instance, an investment professional's compensation is highly linked to fund performance. Mm -hmm. A salesperson, for instance, could have a fixed compensation and a variable structure linked to net sales for that year or assets under management. Mm -hmm. um, Others may have, and again, all compensation goes to the NRC. So it's very variable. But in general, what I have seen is that if you are making quick leaps and we're an organization that offers fast growth, I mean, I have seen people, you know, without quoting absolute numbers of compensation in my tenure, whose compensation has gone up three, four X. In the last six, seven years. Six years. Six years of tenure. Interesting. You know I, what? I, I routinely say, and I also believe this, you didn't ask this, but I still have to say this. There is no compensation arbitrage in this industry because it's disclosed. Firstly, there's very little compensation arbitrage in life. But above a certain grade of compensation, everybody's salary is on a public portal. On 1st of May or 15th of May or whatever it is, headhunters or someone mm -hmm. sends a spreadsheet with all AMC employees of a certain seniority and their compensation. So you can't be underpaid for very long. Mm -hmm. No management will be silly enough to do that. Yeah, so you can easily benchmark your compensation Absolutely. with what you would get in another fund. Yes. And therefore your current employer has to keep up. Exactly. But, you know, I also want to say this caveat of benchmarking and back to Sharmaji Kabeta. He said, I'll have a new... First time fixed income fund manager hmm. say, oh, that guy's a very famous fixed income. Let's take a very tenured fixed income fund manager CIO and say, Mujhe itna milta hai, he gets four times. Two fund managers are not equivalent, hmm. right? Hmm. There is a certain value to tenure, a certain value to brand name that you build, sure. a certain value to being able to raise money on your name. So you can't benchmark apples to apples. Mm. Fund manager to fund manager is not the same. There are certain firms that have different circumstances. If you work for a startup AMC, and there are a lot of them now, maybe just they just don't have the pool to pay out, but maybe they will later. 
interesting uh, radhika one of the inter- uh, the things that you spoke about is the sales and marketing function yeah a lot of mutual fund flows are massively guided by the performance of the fund in recent time right yeah. and we have done a lot of work on that where we see that the fund is outperformed by 3% and the fund aum in the next year has gone 4x hmm. right and then the fund performance collapses almost hmm. uh, like to a pattern yeah. where everyone like mean reverts how are investors to evaluate funds if not on fund performance of oh course this this is like a pain point for me if there was one thing i could change in our industry and only one it would be this obsession with one year performance because i just believe it has been such a disservice to investors um in fact we have built our you know and they they have these things called five star funds etc right mm-hmm. we because it's exactly what you said you have one of these five star funds they do exceptionally well and the next year they do the u turn and customers have come in at the wrong time mm. in fact we've almost told ourselves we want to be a four star fund house we want to be a fund house where you are above average mm. but you don't fall so badly so that and actually most of many funds do mm. get ranked four star but you want to be that because in reality you can do the numbers mm. if you invest in a fund that consistently does above average versus a fund that's one of these famous five star funds mm. the four star one will do better because your timing is going to be all wrong and you'll get frustrated and you won't have longevity now mm. for investors what i recommend is there's a metric called rolling returns mm-hmm. see <coughs> what is one year performance it's the performance of the person who came in one year ago hmm. how does that indicate ki aapka kya hoga hmm. what is rolling performance rolling performance over one year or three years is the performance of the cohort of people who've invested for three years any three year period mm-hmm. good bad that's much more likely to indicate what you're going to hmm. experience so when i look at a fund myself for my own investment i never look at discrete performance I always look at rolling returns and I see the 3 and 5 year rolling returns of the fund average case worst case best case we offer it on our website and therefore should wealth managers or even asset managers report data in rolling return terms and not point to point terms which they are currently reporting well we have to report in point to point because it's regulatory uh but everyone should unequivocally yes report in rolling return terms as i said we do it on our website we've been doing it for years uh i think a couple of asset managers do but not enough mm-hmm. and it honestly needs to change and i think the wealth management fraternity actually doesn't have these regulations right mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of how they explain it you guys absolutely to sure it's the best service you can do to your clients uh i think this is an interesting segue for me uh you and you know i in my previous role we were interacting with wealth ma- uh, asset managers much more often right mm-hmm. and honestly i don't wish that upon anyone because uh great folks from amc's chase up with wealth managers and deal with their shenanigans in terms of explaining stuff to them what are the things that you wish wealth managers would get which they don't oh you're going to get me into trouble um so i've done a lot of this i've done it myself as an entrepreneur uh, and there are some great guys in the wealth business uh, out there I think the biggest service that a wealth manager can do is to be counter cyclical to a client. Mm-hmm. Um because investors it's their money, they're naturally emotional. They'll naturally chase momentum, they'll do all these things. Uh I think if you can do what not everyone else is doing, uh that's very powerful. 
I think if you can spot one of the greatest challenges as a product manufacturer that a wealth manager comes and says to you is, I will do three top AMC, tried and tested. But I think if you can be a little bit more experimental, because really, I think the edge as a wealth manager is also spotting things ahead of the curve. You have to balance, you have to do due diligence, you mm. have to balance uh, mm. safety. I think that is important. And the third thing is, it's not just for wealth management, all of us. We have to realize India's capital markets are evolving. Mm. New styles, new strategies, new asset classes, all of this is coming in. So upskilling our mm. people to be able to do much finer diligence and ask much tougher questions, I really believe the wealth industry can ask us much tougher questions. You know, I think uh, what I'm taking away is that wealth managers need to work harder mm -hmm. because it's very easy to give the investor what they're already asking for. Yeah. Then you're just a conduit for... You and have delivering to be counter-cyclical. You have to push the bar. Yes, and if you don't push the bar, then you don't really... Uh, what are some of these interesting insights that you've taken away when it comes to investor behavior, Radhika? <laughs> because from your perspective, especially at Amphi, you would probably be able to see some interesting things that investors do really right or really wrong, which we don't know. So I think SIP is something investors have gotten right. You know, in the old days, what you used to see is markets fall, money comes out. Mm. I think that has changed because of SIPs. You see now periods where markets fall and people add more money. Mm. And you see a correction and you see a rebound after a correction and people pull out money and you may complain, but it's actually a good thing. Mm. So I think people's market timing ability in general has gotten better because of SIPs. So mm. I think retail has gotten smarter. Um, that That is one thing. Uh, at least in our own data, by the way, I think women investors do a very good job. If you look at our more cyclical thematic funds, they have a significantly smaller percentage of women investors than a balanced advantage fund. Uh, so I think uh, women have a good head on their shoulder. That's, that's an interesting insight. As I said, one-year performance is something we all see. All of us can say that my fund is rank. If your fund is rank one or two in one year in any category, even if you don't do any marketing, you'll get money. But next year, you're dead in the water. And next year, and it's the scariest thing with a fund like a guilt fund. Because rates fall. Yeah. Your fund is top of the charts. You'll get money. And then rates rise. Yeah. Which and is why I don't like some of these categories. And you can't market to everyone that it's not yeah. me. It's the market. It's the market. So, I think that is one of the things uh, that people... The other thing that I think is happening is the market is... It was always performance sensitive. It's becoming too performance sensitive now. So you'll see a fund that's top of the charts. And this is partly investors, partly ma wealth managers. And you won't ask any questions. What portfolio in the portfolio? See, out, extreme outperformance and extreme underperformance both have to be questions. And I don't think extreme outperformance is questionable. Uh, Radhika, I've learned a lot through this podcast, especially on the Sharma Ji Ka Beta Insight. Yes. Maybe something for all of us to keep in mind. Thank you so much. Thank you.